Hebrews 6, 13 to 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he is no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A lot of words there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because we believe that you are a God that longs for us to know that you are with us. And especially in this season where we have this hope that you will come again pray that it would be especially true now in this moment that we would believe it, that we would sense you, that we would believe that you have not left us alone, no matter how alone we feel at times, that you have a promise that's for us and your presence, Father, has never left us. So would you remind us that now through Ariana in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. closer you can. We're a sparse group this morning. Everyone is still sleeping off their turkey. Um, <laughs> oh, you guys, I really love everything about Christmas. I'm not the person who's like, uh, Hallmark, stop. I actually enjoy that. <laughs> Give me more. Yeah, yeah. I love the hot cocoa. Yesterday, I really, really was glad that Petco had a sale and I got a little $15 sleigh bed for my cat. Um, the little things, but that's not everyone. I know some people don't. And actually this sermon is for the people who maybe don't love the Christmas creep. Um, Advent is meant to be a pause. (laughs) It's meant to be a, a turning toward the future before we celebrate the birth of Christ. Um, it's considered the beginning of the Christian calendar year for many traditions. Um, we're not from a liturgical denomination, and so we're not appropriating this, but we're hoping to be a part of it and to, to bring in this peace into our worship. Um, why are we choosing this as a part of our worship? Uh, especially for me, someone who grew up in a Pentecostal church where I don't even know we had a calendar. <laughs> um, I think we just showed up when no one was at the house, so they must have been at the church, <laughs> right? Um, but this season doesn't just point towards Christmas or towards the day when we believe Jesus was born. Um, and it doesn't just point towards December 25th, like our little Trader Joe's uh, chocolate calendars say. Um, In the words of Fleming Rutledge, she's an Episcopal priest, she says that Advent is an an orientation towards a promised future. And we believe at City Chapel that you and I and me, we have a promised future. We believe that the city of New York, that your buildings, that your neighborhoods have a promised future. Um, And so we're celebrating Advent, and it differs from every other church season that we celebrate because it's the only one that looks beyond our current thing and awaits the future that is coming. That's Christ. Christ is coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. 
And his, the primary focus of this time is the consummation of the kingdom of God. Less confusing word than consummation, if that makes you cringe a little bit, is the fullness of the kingdom of God being brought on earth, receiving it. In other words, if you remember months ago when we heard Jeremiah preach on the Lord's prayer, it's the answer to Jesus giving us the prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's the answer coming. It's not a worldly hope of vain optimism. You know, we're going to escape this world and we'll get to the next one. No, no, it's the reality that anchors us in Christ to the truth set forth in Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying for the old order of things has passed away. The the old order is still happening in my eyes. Um, In summary, Advent is about the promise, the promise that we sing about. Did you get chills on that verse when his buried body began to breathe and the living hope rises? That day changed everything and it was planned from the beginning. We can be anchored in this hope and the promise of Jesus that we read about in this passage. And this anchor will hold you and me as we face the realities in our, in our year end and in our year beginning. This anchor will hold us. Um, this past week, I went home um, with Alex and we spent some time with my family in Alabama and then we spent some time in Athens, Georgia. Um, and if you've never been to the South, the movies are pretty accurate. I just hate their representation of our accents. Um, <laughs> uh, and so we actually, we had dinner with um, Alex's two aunts and we were sitting there with their boys. And this is when I mean darkness and hopelessness. This is what I felt in this moment. Um, the seven-year-old, I don't know how he got on the topic, but the seven-year-old um, Fisher is kind of crawled in his mom's lap at the Mexican restaurant and he looks over and he goes, mom, at school, when we do the shooter drills, um, when the other kids don't pay attention, I'm really scared. And I'm just like, oh gosh, I was just hoping for some cheese dip and a margarita. <sighs> but this, I'm just hit. I'm just hit with the reality wherever I go right? That there is brokenness in our world. And even if I vote the right way or I uh, send my kids to the right place, there's not no amount of protection I can offer. There's no salve I can give. But this passage says something to us about a hope that is coming and that we have knowledge of. Maybe you feel that way, like I'm feeling, of like, what do I hold on to when I'm barraged by all of these um, incoming news stories of things? And you're like, well, maybe I should give more to this charity or do more for this thing. But you realize the finiteness of your body. We're finite. I I can't work every day of my life and give every day of my life. There's not enough. Um, But God has something for us in this that will feel like a weight lifted off our shoulders, but also a challenge for how we should move forward. Let's read it again. It's Hebrews 6, 13 through 20. And before we read it, um, the writer, we're not sure who he is. There's some ideas, but we know that he knew the apostles. We know he was friends with them. Um, And we also know that he's writing to Jewish believers, um, people who grew up who are part of the Jewish nation and then have believed in the promise of Jesus. And what he says to them is he's using all of these metaphors all throughout. So go read the book of Hebrews this week. It's really fun. Um, And he actually calls forth like five different metaphors of all the different ways that God revealed himself in the past and how actually Jesus is the the better version of all of those things. 
Um, and the one that we're in is that Jesus is the better version of a priest. He's the full priest forever. So let's read it together. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all of the arguing. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. God did that so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So there's some things here that if you have a history of the, of the Jewish people, and if you've read the Old Testament, you'll understand, but I just want to highlight them briefly, but we really want to get to this anchor piece and focus on that. God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis. He said, I will bless you and I will make um, a, a nation of many descendants and through you, the whole world will be blessed. And Abraham received that promise. And he wrestled with it for years, right? There were lots of things he did. He wasn't a perfect person, um, but he still received that promise because God made a promise on his own oath with God himself. And God made an oath that puts an end to the arguments. Jesus came to fulfill the promise and extend it to all of us, those of us who were not born into this Jewish family, but have now been invited into the family by Jesus. Um, and the way he does that is by fulfilling this role we see talked about, this priestly role. Let me get some water. So the priest had two roles. Um, one was to uh, intercede on the people's behalf to God, and one was to um, offer sacrifices for the sins. But the problem was the priests were sinning too. So they were all the time offering offerings for their own sins and the people's sins, and it was too big of a job. And God knew this. And so God sent someone, a piece of himself, Jesus, the Son of God, to earth. And he was born, and he lived a human life. He put on human flesh, but he did it morally pure. And because of that, when he actually sacrificed himself... For us, it was a sacrificial offering that covered everything past and present. We'll get into that in the anchor part, but just know that everything past and present and future has been covered by the blood of Jesus. So we can be encouraged that it's not us that it all depends on, but God's promise to us in Jesus. We didn't get free from all of this because we somehow fixed it. We only receive it because we believe in what Jesus has done for us in this free offering. We cannot earn what God has done for us. Let's think about this analogy of an anchor, um, this hope that he's talking to these believers about. These believers are in persecution. They're running for their lives um, because of this hope that they have in Jesus. And he tells them that the promise is an anchor. 
What do anchors do? I had to look into this because I was a little unsure. Like I've put them down outside of a boat in a small water, but <laughs> I can't see it. So, um, but there's this very interesting thing on anchors called flukes and they're designed to dig into the ground um, when the boat is moved by the water and waves around it. And actually the way these flukes dig in, when the water and waves come, they actually create a stronger hold for the anchor, not a lesser hold. I think the author knew that. I have to believe that he's telling them something about what they're going through and how it's actually going to create a stronger hold in the promise. What are you going through that you feel like is going to rip you out of the hope that you have? What am I going through that feels like it's going to rip me out of the hope that I have? May you be encouraged to know that this word is chosen on purpose, that the hope that we have in Jesus, Jesus himself, cannot be ripped out from the waves that are going on. It's a sure hope, and it actually becomes stronger. Our forerunner, if you see that, it's a race metaphor. He deliberately chose this term to affirm the way that Jesus's entrance opens the way for his faithful to follow him. It was always about getting back into the presence of God. He loves you. He loves me. He loves our people in this city. But we've been torn away by our own choices and decisions to wreak havoc and darkness around us. Um, from the very beginning in the garden, we see the ways that brokenness enter. And we could each name 10 to 12 different things right off the bat of the ways that we see this pain. But what Jesus did was he actually faced head on all of that, right? And when he willingly chose to go into this death on the cross, he actually beat death. <laughs> he goes into the very thing he thinks, he doesn't think, he knows, but he goes into the very thing we think will consume him. His followers are like, what are you doing? Even though he's told them multiple times what he's gonna do. <laughs> um, because he knows that three days later, He's going to defeat the power of sin and the power of death for all humankind and all eternity. And we're living in the ripple effect and we're also waiting for what's to come. So Advent is about looking back to what Jesus did and looking forward to what he promises will come. We look back so that we can look forward. Just, and you can see this in the passage, how the, the author is even doing this here. He's talking to these Jewish believers who know the stories of Abraham. They know how God was faithful to him. And he says, remember, remember how God was faithful to Abraham? God will be faithful to you if you believe. And so what is it this morning that you feel like God is not being faithful to that he's promised? Will you be patient like Abraham? I was sitting at the Thanksgiving table um, and I was sharing some things that have been going on in, in Alex and I's personal life with my, um, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, and it had to do with like pregnancy and, and infertility. And we were talking about like this promise that God had given um, to Mary and this promise that God had given in all these other places. And then we were talking about ways that we personally, as followers of God, have heard the voice of God, have heard God promise us things. Um, and I was telling them how, you know, doctors told us we won't conceive, but we heard from the Lord before we were even married or dating that God was going to do this. And I didn't know why he was telling me that. I was like, Get, you know, why are you talking about this with me? Like, mm, I'm not doing that right now. Um, too young for that. Uh, and God has confirmed this like over and over. He's given visions of it, but I always forget. 
I always forget. And so I'm sitting at this Thanksgiving table, and my brother-in-law, John, says, um, Ariana, my, I got to tell you my mom's story of how she held on to the promise of God. Um, she went to the doctor, and they said, yeah, you need to take these me- this medicine. You're not going to have babies, you know, nine, this, that, and the other. Um, and for years, she didn't. Um, until finally she said, you know what? God promised this to us. Not, not saying that everyone will have a child that God, you know what I mean? But because God had given her this promise, she knew. And so what they did was they actually went home and made a nursery. And for two years, she sat in the nursery, prayed, God, will you remember the promise you've made to me? And now they have five children. She prayed really hard, I guess. Um, And this is just one story. There are thousands. There are thousands. If you go home, and even even stories are probably coming up for you of the ways that you've believed God's promise and you've seen it manifest, right? And so this morning, as we're thinking about Advent, we're thinking about uh, going forward and we're thinking about what's to come. Jesus has made us a promise, folks. He has promised that he will wipe away every tear. He's promised that restoration will come, not just to this church, to this city, to these people, but to the world. And when we look around, we don't see it. And that's okay, because we have the promise. My grandpa said to me this week, my papa said, be where you are. As believers, we need to be where we are with the promise. Where are you at during the week? If you're in a Zoom call, if you're with your children, if you're walking down the street with your best friend and something comes up, something broken, something awful that reminds you of how hard it is to be human on this side of eternity, how can you recall to mind the promise? The promise that there is a better world coming and also that you've been invited to start bringing it, to start receiving it rather. (laughs) And in that moment, how does that change your trajectory, right? So like play it out for a minute, right? So Aeneas and I are, are uh, getting coffee. This is fake, right? Aeneas and I are getting coffee. And he starts to share with me this really difficult thing going on in his life. And I just respond with, yeah, man, that sucks. I don't, I, I don't, I don't have enough money to help you either. Like, I don't know what to do. Or we remember the promise. We remember the community of faith that is with us that Jesus has promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. And we ask God to recall to mind the promise, Lord, would you see Aeneas in this moment? Would you give to him what you've promised for him? I can't, it's above me, right? I can do some, but I can't do it all. Would you remember the promise? And also I can tell Aeneas of the ways that it's already happening around him. And that spurs faith. So we don't just carry the promise, but we also share the promise to spur faith in those around us, right? And so it's not just one story, right? It's thousands of stories of the promise being spurred. But I have a question for you. The anchor only works if it's put in the right way. (laughs) When anchors are dropped, uh, they have to be pulled in. Um, and if they're not pulled in and dropped the right way, they don't really work for the boat. Um, and so maybe you drop the anchor, um, but you didn't drop it the right way. Maybe you didn't actually ask the Lord to be your savior. 
because this anchor only works if your hope is in Christ. We who have fled take hold of the hope that is before us, that we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. This hope, the hope that Jesus did it, that Jesus is doing it, and that Jesus will do it. This hope. If your hope is not in that anchor, if your hope is in your retirement account, (laughs) your degrees, (laughs) your marriage relationship, and, and all of your hope goes into that thing, when that thing starts to falter, stuff spills, okay? Because the anchor isn't firm in the right place, okay? I've seen that happen in my life. When I put my anchor in Alex and not in the hope I have in Christ, I spill on that man, okay? <laughs> and that's, that sucks. And you know what happens from that? We have to repent. We have to repent. And we have to, to ask the Lord to, to drop the anchor in the right place for us. This isn't a message on doing the right thing. This is a message on receiving the right one. You can't read one more book on repairing relationships and have a better relationship. You might pick up something, but over time, it's going to fall apart again. We, we know that everything has been unraveling until the point that Jesus comes and sets it back into raveling together again. And we are the reminder to our friends and our colleagues that there is one who has come and is coming again, who is putting it all back together. And it's not for us to always do. We're invited to be a part of it, but we're not the soul bringer of it. So my question, are you being tossed? Are you noticing the ways that your boat is shaking? Are you noticing the things that you've dropped anchors in that can't hold you? And we come back to this, Jesus, the great priest, who made propitiation for your sins on the cross and mine, who covering it all has promised to return and bring his kingdom and glory. And so the invitation is to trust in that king, the one who is trustworthy, who will come, who will make all things new, the one who will stop every school shooting and it won't be through legislation. He made an offering that covers every piece of brokenness. City Chapel this morning, would you put your hope in Jesus? He is firm and secure. When you put your trust in him, you begin living into this reality. And this is a daily thing. So I want to invite us for a minute um, to just pray together, to do some listening prayer, to ask the Lord to reveal the places where we have falsely put our hope that are shaking our boats. So I'm basically going to just ask the Lord to speak to us. Are there places where we've put our hope that are causing us to shake? And then I'll, I'll keep praying for us. So if you want to bow your head or close your eyes and get comfortable, that's great. Jesus, this morning, we ask that you would speak to us. We know that you can. We know that you do. Um, Lord, we come before you wanting to know where are the places that we have put our anchors that are causing our boats to be beat up. Would you reveal this to us now, Lord? Thank you, Lord, that you're speaking. If you didn't hear anything, that's okay. Um, We're going to continue the prayer. Um, Lord, for the places that you have revealed to us, 
would you help us? Would you remove those anchors that we falsely put? We can't do it on our own. Would you pull those things out? Um, And Lord Jesus, right now we ask that you would drop your hope into us. We ask for a fresh outpouring in this room of your hope. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your hope in this room and in this city. I pray that you would pour out your hope to every person's family that's in this room. Lord, if there are families who are struggling with um, financial loss, drug addiction, baby loss, Lord, I pray that right now you would give them a fresh outpouring of hope. Hope that you see that you're coming. A hope that allows us to be patient in our waiting. In Jesus' name, amen.